myself, this week we're going to, um, so we're, we're finishing up our, our kingdom series, which is um, from a book that Jeremy wrote. It's called Seek First. And I highly recommend those of you who have, have followed and, and, and are interested in this to get the book. It's, it's not a hard read. Josh and I got it on the first time through. So you guys are, are a smart crowd. You'll catch on to it really quick. It's not a long read either. It doesn't take, it's like a ties reading an A.W. Tozer book, you know, that takes a long time to read. It's not like that. It's, it's, a, it's straightforward and, and easy to read. Um, week one, Josh talked about the kingdom perspective, how it puts everything else in perspective. If the kingdom matters, everything else matters more. Week two, I did the kingdom purpose, which was, which was, you know, we're called to discipleship. We're called to bring his kingdom into where we live and work and play. And now we're going to look at what it means to be kingdom people. I so wanted Josh to be able to do this lesson because um, he, I really like his perspective on this part and his perspective on the book. Um, as you know, he's a worship leader down in the city, or you may not know, and his uh, church is, asked, is doing an outdoor 4th of July service today, and he was asked to be there for that and, and could not finish this um, this week, so you're stuck with me one more time. Um, so let's talk about what it means to be kingdom people. And what we're going to talk about is finding our identity in Jesus Christ. Finding our identity as kingdom people in Jesus Christ. And it's really clear in scripture what that means. But to give you, I'll give you an example. Um, in 2004, there was a man found beaten behind a dumpster at the Burger King in Richmond, Georgia. He had no ID, no memory, he had no recollection of family relationships, experience, or education, or beliefs. All those things we draw on to determine what our identity is going to be in this society, right? He had none of that. The hospital already had a John Doe, so he couldn't even have that name. So they called him BK for Burger King. That's where he was found. But rather than being unkind, they gave him the name Benjamin Kyle. The FBI got involved. There's no dental records, fingerprints, and he wakes up every morning to this day not knowing who he is. Many Christians have forgotten who they are in Christ. It's laid out in Scripture who we are. And a lot of times we know who we are when we first accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We, we all of a sudden know we're a Christian and, and gain it. But in the absence of God, in the absence of God determining our identity for us through his word, we try to construct our own identity. And when we construct our, construct our own identity, we do it through accomplishments, through social media posts. We believe in Jesus, but we either forget or never thought about the new identity we have in him. So we go from being a fired up Christian to being a fired up member of our society. Identity comes up a lot in society today. And, and there's all kinds of ways to talk about identity. There's identity politics. I don't even know how to describe those, and I'm not going to go into that today because it, it's confused. But I think we can all agree that more and more people are confused about who they are. The search for identity, um, you know, is, is kind of a new concept. In the old days, um, you didn't get to determine much of your identity. It was all determined for you. Where you lived, you know, people couldn't travel far. What work you did, you went into the family business whether you wanted to or not, like a lot of times. Who you married was determined in a lot of cases. Now the options seem unlimited, but the, that brings to us a pressure, and that's to gain the world's approval in what it is we determine as our identity. What we determine in our identity, our career, where we live, 
Where we can live the life we want to live? Do we going to live where we can live the life we want to live? Do we want to be married? Do we want to be single? Do we want to be without a family? We have to look at what the Bible says about our identity in Christ. And so let's do that together. The Bible says we are sons and daughters of the king. Remember, we're putting everything in kingdom perspective. So the kingdom is, is where God reigns, and, the, and where God reigns, he is the king, right? And we're sons and daughters of the king. Romans eight fifteen will be on your screen. Um, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So remember, here's the kingdom, God's the king, and we're his children. In that verse are three made truths that I want to share with you, or three maybe sub-truths of the, of the, the truth that we're a kingdom. So the first one is we're adopted. So we're adopted into the kingdom. God created humanity in his image. As his image bears, we are made to belong to his family. This is really clear in Genesis. Um, this is not on your screen. Genesis 2, uh, 26 to 28, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals. This is on your screen, I apologize. I'm not a professional. Um, and then it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, be, best, uh, be blessed. Uh, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it and reign over the, all of creation. So we're created in, in, God, in Christ. We are created by God. And we, therefore, we have a family resemblance. And, and God, later in Genesis, um, this is tied to our, our, how we reflect what, what our father looks like, how, how we reflect the image of our father, our earthly father. Um, all humanity is made in an image like a child of, on earth is made in the image of his father. Genesis 5, 1 through 3 says, this is the written count of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. Got that? Then he created them to be male and female. We talked about that. He blessed them, called them human. And then later, in verse 3, it says, when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him. So what he's doing there is tying together. You are just like God, just like you are a lot like your earthly father. You resemble God like you resemble your earthly father. God created us with family resemblance, having the nature and character of our father. We are sons and daughters of the king. But we have become voluntary orphans. We've changed our name. We've gone after our own identity. We seek to find our own way. You can search the Bible and find parables about this and real life stories about people running away from the identity that God had for them. And, um, and I won't go into those, but you think of Jonah, the prodigal son, uh, a, a, a real example and a, and, a, and a parable that both share this, that's running away from your identity in God. We're all made in God's image but we're not necessarily children of God. Romans 5, 8 through 10, that's on your, on your screen, says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I have to tell you, it's on your slide because if I advance my own slides, I lose my place. I have the, I don't know if it's ADD or just 
not knowing what I'm doing, but anyway. So that Melody is waiting for my cues. <laughs> and since we have been made right with God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So listen to this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, why we were still his enemies. What he's saying is why we're sinners, we're enemies of God. We've departed from the family. We're an outcast of the family when we're in living in sin. And this is by choice, right? Yet God pursues us, and by the blood of Christ, we can be adopted back into the family. So we were born in God's family. We chose to not be in God's family. But Jesus Christ provided a way for us to be adopted back into the family. Okay? Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us, to adopt us. It uses those words, and this is not on your screen, into his own family by bringing us, so it's Ephesians 1.5. I should give you time to look it up if I'm not going to pause for the screen. Um, Ephesians 1.5, please. Uh, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He's not just your king, he's your father. Now, the father title's been weakened by society, right? I mean, um, we, we used to go to a church that almost mocked fathers on Father's Day. You know, they had funny, I mean, they're being funny, but it, it, it kind of missed the point, right? Um, and, and again, fathers have kind of given up their identity in, in America. 40% of the children in America go to bed at night without a father, you know, so in the home. And so the father image is taken on, and, and fathers have been abusive, and there's things like that. So the father image might not be, you know, the ideal image for right now. But think of it in the Father, in the God sense, when God the Father is the perfect Father. And there's hope. It says in Psalm 6, 68.5, Psalm 68.5, God is the Father to the fatherless, the defenders of widow. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God is the Father to the fatherless. He's the perfect Father. It, doesn't, it, it matters who your earthly father is and what, what your earthly father is, but in the end of it, we get our identity in God the Father. And God is the perfect father, and he'll provide for us in the absence of, of the human things going on in the world today. Being adopted by God changes our view of God, but it changes your view of yourself. Think about it, those of you who have adopted children, adoption's a verb, right? Not an adjective. You don't call that your adopted son. You call it your son. You don't call it your adopted daughter. You call it your daughter. And that's how God looks at us. We're adopted, yes, but adoptions, this is the way we come into the, back into the family of God. He looks at us with the full rights and privileges and, and honor of being his son and daughters. On the night before Jesus was, prayed, was betrayed, he prayed in John 17, 26. This is not on your screen. John 17, 26. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Do you get what this means? Jesus is there, and we, same, we share the same love with God that Jesus shared with God. We have the exact same love available to us. It's perfect love. It's eternal love. It's unconditional love, and it's available to us. The second truth from that scripture is that we have access to the king. You know, either look at this politically or in business, the more important someone is, the harder it is to get access to them, right? I think I could... I think I could get access to the mayor of Harrisonville if I made an appointment, you know, I think, or I run into her on the street or whatever, you know, I, th I could get access to the mayor of Harrisonville. But as you move up, the governor might be a little harder for me to get um, to, you know, or get an appointment with. If I had a real cause that I, or, and, and made the appointment ahead of time and knew somebody that could get me into a meeting, maybe I could get in a meeting there. President of the United States, no way, right? 
And think about celebrities. You know, the more popular they are, the harder they are to gain access to, to visit with or talk to or share with. Um, God is the most important being ever. Is God too busy to talk to you? Is, does he care about things, small things in, in life? You know, I remember the movie Facing the Giants, and, and I don't get caught up in a lot of sports analogies and things like that, but that's a really good movie. And one part of it, the, 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 the coach is trying to, to witness to the team and try to, to, to you know, he's he had revival stirring in the team, and he says to him, he, and one of the players says, well, God does care about football then? God does care, you know, whether we win or lose? And God cares about you. Therefore, if, if football is important to you and it's part of your, your identity and it's part of what you're going to do in life and, then, and you can use it as a witness to him and bring his kingdom, then yeah, God cares about that because God cares about you and he loves you. He had, you have unlimited access to him. Hebrews 4, 6, and this is on your screen. Hebrews 4, 6 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will see, let us come boldly. Let us not be afraid to come to him. He's available. There, there we will see his mercy, and we will find grace and help us when he, we need it most. When we need it most, not when he's free, not when we make an appointment, when we need it. Um, I remember Alice and I went to a Samaritan's Purse um, conference down in Orlando, and it was a really good conference. And one of the speakers was a, a pastor from a church in Atlanta who's in a lot of the movies that the Kendrick brothers have made, the, the, those, um, I forgot what those movies are called, but uh, there's Facing the Giants and Fireproof and Courage and all, um, Courageous and all those. And he was the, um, and he was like the, one of the coaches in the football, um, in the Facing the Giants, and he was one of the police officers in Courageous, and he was one of the firemen in, in uh, Fireproof. And he shared this, that when he prays, what he does is he pictures God sitting in his office, really busy, you know, and, and again, this is, work with me. This is in an alley, okay? This is, I, I, know, I know God doesn't sit at a desk, okay? But uh, anyway, he walks in and he says, you walk in and when he, when he drops everything he's doing and he turns and he faces me and, and says, what are you here for? That's how he pictures it. And that metal image really has carried me a few times. I just picture God saying, what do you need? You know, I'm here for you. We have access to the king. The third truth in there is we're ambassadors of the king. We're ambassadors of the king. The Bible begins in Genesis 1.26 with God calling humanity, humanity to rule over the earth, okay? Then, it, then the Bible ends in, in, in Revelation 3.21 with, with us sitting on the throne with Jesus, okay? So he tells us to rule over his creation, rule over the kingdom right now, and then we sit with him on the throne and reign over the kingdom, right, at the end. Those are all who are, this is from Gen, uh, Revelation 3.21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Let's put this into context. What the Bible's doing there is setting us up to be priests, not Catholic priests, but priests. And priests are priest kings. There's a royal priesthood we're described as being. And this unfolds biblically like this. Adam called... Um, Adam was called to take Eden. So Adam wasn't called just to, I mean, he was called to rule and reign over, over, over Eden, right? But what Adam's real purpose was, Adam and Eve's real purpose was to bring Eden throughout the world, right? You're supposed to rule and reign over it and then, then be fruitful and multiply and spread Eden throughout the world. Sin stopped that, right? And it kept it contained in the Garden of Eden. Adam was supposed to Edenize the whole world. So, but... At first, he was called to take Eden, spread out the world. And then he was called to work and keep the garden, Genesis 1.26. And then in 2.15, um, 
it says, the Lord, took God, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. This work and keep has a, has a very specific meaning. The average Hebrew would know exactly what this means. Work and keep is the job of priests. In Hebrew times, the priest, Adam was called to work and keep the garden. The priests were called to work and keep the temple. Adam and Eve were, were called to work and keep the garden and mediate God's blessings to all of humanity, right? The, the priests were called to maintain the temple and mediate God's presence and blessings to those who came to be with God. It's the same thing. All humanity now is called by God to be a royal priesthood, mediating God's blessings to the whole world, mediating God's blessings to the whole world. That's what's supposed to drive us. That's what we're here for. So Adam and Eve failed, but God didn't give up. Next, he called Israel. God brought them out of slavery in, in Egypt. And, and Exodus 19, 4 through 6 says this. Um, and this is not on your screen. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. This is right after they came out of Egypt, obviously. And they were delivered across the Red Sea. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples, a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. But just as Adam and Eve failed, Israel fell short. So enter Jesus. The last Adam and faithful Israel came as a perfect priest who would mediate God's blessing to all the nations. And now Jesus calls his people to his identity and mission in fulfilling his work. In Christ, we are a royal priesthood as well. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 is on your screen. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are not like that, for you're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have been redeemed from the kingdom of darkness to shine the light of God and reign into a world in darkness. And we should be boasting about our Father. I know Ty's here. I'm not going to embarrass him, but I'm going to tell one story, and this embarrasses me more than him. From the time Ty was in second, third grade, and Luke, they played football. And from the time they were in youth football, it emotionally captured me, you know, and, and, and I, I yelled a lot. Okay, I mean, and, and, uh, and lost my voice at games, and, and Allison brought two chairs to the first game we ever went to, and she said, well, we don't need two chairs, he doesn't sit down. And so I was really mad when I got high school, and they wouldn't let me walk the sideline, because and, 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 I, I coached better from there. There's people in this audience who have sat in front of me at a high school football game and got up and moved, because in front of me, is not, there's like a void around me. And one game, and I really wanted to, to yell at the players, not, the, I don't yell at officials, I mean, and I'm all positive, but I really felt like, you know, linemen and stuff like that need encouragement. And so I called it upon myself. And then whether defense was within an offense, I thought I needed to make that clear to them so they'd know, you know. So they and so anyway, so I, I yelled one time and Ty was standing there with all his buddies and, and on, the, on the sideline and he goes, that's my dad. <laughs> like that, he goes, that's my dad. And so we should be like that with Jesus Christ and everything that happens that's good in this world. When we proclaim the, the, the values of our country, when we complain the values of our, you know, our, our work, what we do for a living, we should say, that's my dad. My dad created that. We should brag about Jesus and everything that we're involved in. We should, God has, God's blessings, we're mediators of, and it's a privilege. And we should brag about him 
and nothing else. All this leads us to what is our identity, right? I've been hitting around about it. I mean, it's all kind of maybe now theoretical. We're priests, all right? You know, all that. Well, what, what is our identity? In Christ, um, the Bible says in two places, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, you are in Christ. And then Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in you. So you are in Christ, Christ is in you, okay? So it's a, it's a full relationship, um, being united in Christ, we have, and, and Ephesians 1.3 says, praise be, Ephesians 1.3, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. New Testament says in Christ like that 250 times. It says Jesus did this, and you have this in Christ. It's really qualified, right? You don't... If you're not in Christ, then it's, it's foreign to you. It's, it's, not, it's not available to you. It's kind of a new way of thinking. You know, the way you thought about blessings, like if you think about the Israelites and, and when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, and God shed some blessings on them, right? Manna, quail, um, you know, whatever, water. And they had to run around and gather that up, right? They had to gather up those blessings and run around. And, and that's how a lot of us live our Christian life, right? We run around gathering up God's blessings through the things we do. I do this just to keep the live stream guys alert and I move around a little bit. Um, they say stay in one place and I can't do it. Um, but yeah, we got, we're running around gathering up blessings everywhere we can. But when we think about it, how we should picture in Christ is like a funnel, where all God's blessings are coming to us through Christ. And as long as we stay in Christ, we have a lot less to do frantic motion-wise, right? We no longer need to work at looking for securing our own identity. We must, listen to this, we must learn how to live out this identity. We don't have to make it up. Your true desire is to become who you truly are. Other religions change that where, you, where you need to become who you are not. You're not pure, become pure. A lot of people look at Christianity that way, right? A list of rules to make you what God wants you to be. That's the way I looked at it for most of my life, is where church is where you get cleaned up to make yourself what God needs you to be in order for you to serve him. That's not what it is at all. You're not, if you're selfish, make yourself selfless. You know, do things, give money away, do whatever. Christianity says, be who you truly are in Christ. It's already determined. The Bible says you're pure, so live purely. The Bible says you're light. Let your light shine. It's not what you do for God. It's what God says he's done for you. He's, we, we place our faith, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're declared righteous, forgiven, victorious. And we need to learn to live, live it out. We live by moral commands based on the gospel declarations. Um, these are on your, on your screen. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 32. Love others because you've been loved. 1 John 4.19. Stop sinning because you've been freed from sin. Romans 6, 11 through 12. The Bible is not a list of rules you have to follow. It's not a list of fun things you need to give up. It's not a self-help book for you, for you to make yourself more godly. It's a complete moral guide to tell you how to live out your true identity in Christ. My, uh, my mom um, passed away this, this fall and she she used to say this thing to me, um, and, and those of you who know her can picture her saying this. So um, when I was little, um, my, my dad's name is Leo, and my middle name is Leo. So she'd call me David Leo when she was mad. So David Leo. And so 
when I, when I was little, she'd say to me, I'd be doing something, and she'd say, are you a young man or a little baby? And I'd say, I'm a young man. Then, then act like it. <laughs> Just then act like it. That's what God's saying to us, only not so harsh, maybe. You know, he's saying, he's saying are you, you know, he lays out all the truths. Do you believe you are those things? Yes, then act like it. Live like it. The old, you know, and it's, and it's throughout the, it's, it's not, I, I could quote scriptures all day long, and I'm not gonna, that may be a relief to some of you, um, but old, the Old Testament, the first half of the book of Leviticus, it tells how we are made holy through the atonement. The atonement makes us whole. The second half is how to walk in holiness. We're made holy, and this is how you walk in holiness. That's the whole book. The first half of the book of Ephesians proclaims the gospel, the good news of Christ, the second is how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news that the king brought us, right? Exodus 22, and this is not a, in, in, on your screen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt in the land of slavery. So he gives you the declaration of grace first, and then he follows with the Ten Commandments, a call to obedience. There's a declaration of grace and a call to obedience throughout the scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. This is your identity, now live it out. Act like it. One thing we come to with, with, with being, finding our identity is we have to come to grips with two things that we are. The first one is we are in exile, okay? And what we mean by exile is we're not in our home right now. And we, we kind of covered that last time I spoke. Um, the other thing we are is sojourners. We're on a journey. And so we're gonna look at both those things. But first, take a minute. Have you heard that the church is in decline? Have you heard that the church is on its way out and it's not relative in, anymore? Have you heard that Christianity is in trouble, that church attendance is down 7%? Well, I think that it, it I mean, I think that's true, that, 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 that the, the church attendance is dropping in the United States, but think about what that might mean. Remember back in a previous decade, my, my, um, one of our camp counselors who has younger children says that, who's about my age, says her kids talk about what happened in the 1900s like it was ancient times, right? Now, that, that, that was in the 1900s. It doesn't apply now. So think back to the 1900s. If you were applying for a job or something and it slipped out that you were a Christian man or you were in politics and, and claimed to be a Christian, it didn't always count against you. In fact, a lot of times it was expedient to do so. It, it, it portrayed something good, right? But society's view of it now is not so. It's not so. that If you claim to be Christian, there might be a price to pay, right, um, as far as political things go or other things. And I'm not going into much of that today at all, but, but get the point that it used to be politically expedient or business-wise expedient to, to claim you were a Christian and live Christian values. Not so anymore. Now it's almost, it counts against you. It can count against you, and there might be a price to pay for it. So I think what's going down is the people who claim to be Christian in name only, that's why, you know, in the United States, there's, um, I think, 70-some uh, percent of people. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. It's no longer cool space. It's good to be a Christian man. Churches are closing their doors, and those that stay open are becoming more like society and are compromising their values to bring people in, right? And our question is, is Christianity going to be okay? Has the kingdom become absolute? And I think, like, like a, um, our candidate spoke a couple, a couple, last week, I think that this, this, is, this situation that we're in is an opportunity for the church. We have to decide who we really are, right? We have to decide who we really are in Christ. 
And you know, the previous speaker was talking about COVID. And he said COVID is, could turn into be a blessing for the church because we're gonna reflect on what's really important here, right? And we, you know, when meeting together becomes a political statement, you know, there's gonna be, um, we're, we're gonna have to, 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 you know, figure out why we're really gathering. And so I think it's an opportunity. Um, you know, we hear religion is archaic, done fit with the dawn of human progress. And Barbell others and others will tell you, Barb sellers and others will tell you, or Barbier, excuse me, that, that, that it's not true. Globally speaking, the kingdom of God is on the move. And Jesus told us this would happen. In Matthew 13, 31, this is not on your screen, Matthew 13, 31, he says, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of the garden plants and it grows into a tree and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus said the kingdom of God is gonna explode. You know, whether we're on board with it or not. God's kingdom is on the move, but in the midst of societies that have rejected his reign for the most part. 80,000 people uh, worldwide per day are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, 1910, there were 8.7 million Christians in Africa. Today there are 631 million, and that's predicted to increase by, 30%, uh, by 40% in 2030. One out of four Christians live in Africa. In 1949, less than one million Christians were in China. Today, there are over 58 million, and there's more people in worship on a Sunday in China than there are in the United States. In Nigeria, there's more Protestants in Germ than there are in Germany, Protestants than there are in Germany, where the Protestant movement started. In Brazil, there are two times the Catholic, two times as many Catholics in Brazil as there are where the Vatican resides in Italy. What about our 7% decline? I think that we have a decline in cultural Christianity. 70% of people call themselves Christian, only 36% are in church on any Sunday. And I know Christ, being in church isn't the only measure of whether you're a real Christian or not. Don't, don't hear that. But we have Christian in name only, and those that are Christian in name only are shedding the title because it's no longer expedient to do so. That's a whole nother sermon. Um, but we're in exiles. We're not homeless yet. Um, we talked about this and we closed my, my message with it last time, but we're exiles. Think about an exile is, is the way of people of God are. Kingdom people live in exile. If you think about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eden were home in Eden. They walked with God uninterrupted. They were surrounded by his blessings. Sin, banishment, um, you know, then sin came, banishment came, and it disconnected them from God. It was not the way it was supposed to be. There was a physical displacement. And, out, and they were all of a sudden outside of God's reign. They were in exile. That's what exile is, a physical displacement from home. And we've been exile, in exile ever since. God's people are homesick. We're wandering in sin, we're longing to be at home with God, and we're journeying toward the promised land. Journeying toward the promised land. We're sojourners. That's where that word comes from. We're fellow journeymen. So we're exiles and sojourners, but we're exiles with hope, Right? And even when, they, when the Israelites made it back to the promised land after centuries, they were called sojourners. They were still remembered that they were called to care for sojourners because they once were sojourners. In Deuteronomy 10, 19. So you too must love foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. What that's saying is, just because we found our identity in Christ, our, our, our 
our need to, to seek the seekers, our need to pull in the seekers is not over. Remember what you were like without Christ. Go through all those in Christ lists. How many of those were true of you before Christ? Therefore, how many of those are true of people that come in here for the first time now? But they, it's available to them too. So they, had, they promised the promised land. They, they, they started seeking the promised land. They went back to it and they, 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 they got brought back to the promised land. They were surrounded with God's blessings. They were in his presence in the temple and they were at home. But just like Adam and Eve, they fell short again and they became exiles again. This time they moved them 900 miles to Babylon. And they were 70 years in Babylon before they got back to the promised land, but they came back to the promised land as exiles. And then the Old Testament ends with a partial fulfillment of God's promises, but a longing for the kingdom to come in full. They returned, they rebuilt the temple, but it was only a shadow of what it was before or could have been. We've been in exile ever since. Peter addressed his readers in 1 Peter 1.1. This is not on your screen, 1 Peter 1.1. I'm writing to God's people, chosen people, who are living as foreigners in the providences. We're not home yet. We're foreigners where we are. That being said, we have a dual citizenship. Um, this, this is on your screen. Scripture says in Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Then Paul says in Ephesians 1.1, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, you're in Ephesus, but you're in Jesus, and you're in Christ too. You're in Harrisonville, but you're in Christ too. There's a dual citizenship. Two things that that, and I'm not gonna go into these in depth, but two things that can do with us is it could be, we could be tempered, um, tempted to either separate, you know, and, and there's some biblical um, backing for us set, wanting to separate that, you know, we're supposed to be set apart. John 17, 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So he's leaving them in the world, but he's having us be separate and, and protected. And then we're also, tempted, so, but we don't want to completely separate. And we'll look at that in a minute. Secondly, there's temptation to assimilate, and that's become too much like the world. First um, Corinthians nine twenty two says, "When I am, and, and there's some biblical um, backing for that too. We think you know we got to fit in, right? We got to we got to be part of the world. We got to meet people where they are." In First Corinthians, Paul encourages it nine twenty two. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring their weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everything, doing everything I can to save some. I think what the best thing I can say without going into either of these in depth is, I mean, we know total separation's not right. We know assimilation's not right completely, if it's 100%. I think we need to avoid the extremes, right? We need to stay relevant, but if we separate ourselves too much, we're not gonna be effective. Think about the Israelites in Babylon. Rather than go into anything of today um, where I, I wait for a qualified preacher to get up here and do that, I'm gonna look at what the Bible says about living in exile because I think it is really clear in this. So think about the Israelites when I said they were ushered off to Babylon for 70 years. Some wanted to separate, some wanted to assimilate. We were called to, they, they were called to be there, but they're called to faithfulness. And look what God said, said through Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, four through seven. 
This is what the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Beth, Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry, have children. They were farmers, Mitch. Um, uh, marry, have children. Uh, then find spouses for them so that you have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for peace and prosperity in the city where I sent you into exile. So you're supposed to have a positive impact on your city, on where you're placed. And it says, pray for, to the Lord for it, for its welfare. It would determine your welfare. Babylon had taken them captive, but God had led them there. And then he says to them, and, and Jeremiah says to them in verse 11, the most out of context quoted verse in the Bible maybe, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, but not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. He said it's the people that were gonna be in Babylon for 70 years. You know, that, that would be hard for them to grip onto if they didn't have the kingdom perspective, right? So the portrait of faithfulness is in the book of Daniel. Uh, the theme of Daniel is the kingdom of God. We're not gonna read the whole book. Um, the kingdom of God, the four men were exiled to Babylon. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Uh, they were, and, and they were invited to, they were given um, high status when they came to Babylon. They were smart. They were educated, and they, they kind of got admitted into Babylon University to study history and philosophy and things like that and have a positive influence on the society in which they were placed. But it was a pagan culture, and Daniel, in Daniel 1.8, resolved he would not defile himself. What he was called to, Daniel was called to, and the other three, was a distinct present. Distinct is something different. You gotta you have a distinct distinction but you gotta be present, otherwise you have no effect. You have to put down roots. You have to bloom where you're planted. Um, the, the guy that quoted that to me was Keith Schwartz. The, the, the first time we visited his church, he came out to the house and he told us, bloom where you're planted. It's, I remember him saying that like yesterday. Luke was a year and a half old. Um, but John 20, 21 says this. Again, I say to this, peace with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's saying, um, think about Jesus. Um, you know, we're strange to this world we're in. Jesus was strange to this world when he came here. And so, and, and see, as God, God sent him to bring my kingdom to where I placed him, so I'm sending you to bring my kingdom to where I place you. This window, this uh, assimilate versus, assimilate versus uh, separate thing is, is kind of what draws us as a church, right? Are we gonna become a window to the kingdom or a mirror of society back where they look back on themselves. That's what we have to watch. That's where we have to focus. And remember that, that um, results may vary. Dual citizenship sometimes clicks, right? Sometimes being a dual citizen is beneficial to where you are and received positively. Sometimes it's not and it conflicts. We have to always remember that when our citizenship and kingdom or the citizenship of where we live over is, is uh, contradictory to the, our citizenship in the kingdom, the citizenship in the kingdom comes first. And we have to make all decisions based on that. Such was Daniel with his friends. They were there. They were receiving notoriety. They were positively benefiting their community. And then the king built a statue, a golden statue, an image of himself, and said everybody must fall down at a certain time of day and worship this. And, they were, and those that won't will be placed in the fiery furnace. 
And you know the story, but it's on the next slide, Daniel 3, 17. And Daniel said this to them, If we are thrown in a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. God's people sometimes succeed and sometimes we're persecuted, but God's purposes are always fulfilled. Daniel 3.25, it talks about the fourth person, like the son of God that appeared in the fire with him. You know, that, I believe that was Jesus Christ, but that, the, biblical, the scripture's unclear and it said a man like a God was with them and he went through it with them. You think about Jesus now. Jesus left home in heaven. He became an exile for our state, sake. After he was born as a man, he was driven away as a sojourner. Remember, he had to flee to Egypt as soon as he was born. He went to the cross, and Jesus took the full brunt. He wasn't delivered from the fire from the cross. He took the full brunt of the, of the cross. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, and he said the Aramaic word, and it meant, my God, my God, why have you exiled me? Why have you abandoned me? He went into exile to bring us home. If you remember, at the end of it, when Adam and Eve were banished and exiled from the, from the garden, they placed the, the angel was standing before the garden with a flaming sword to keep him out. Now, we by choice are living in exile from the kingdom, and we're on our way home. But our doorway of our kingdom is held open by the spread arms of Jesus Christ with his outstretched arms. Until it is fully here, when the new heaven and new earth are here, we're exiles and sojourners on a journey. Let's keep going together. When we know our true identity in Christ, we can become what we're created to be and set apart for the journey home. I really appreciate being a part of bringing you this kingdom series. Um, I'd like to summarize what we just went through over the past few weeks. The Bible is the story of the kingdom of God giving coherence to our lives. Jesus is the king who brings the kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection. Life is full of meaning, meaning even in the mundane, because we have the kingdom perspective. Discipleship is about following the king and bringing the kingdom where we work, live, and play. The church is the community of the king, a glimpse of life under God's reign, an embassy of the kingdom, a preview of the kingdom. Um, if the worship team would come up, we're going to close here quickly. Um, Justice characterizes the kingdom of God because God is a just king. In Christ, we are sons and daughters of the king with an identity received by grace. Our citizenship in the kingdom determines and shapes our citizenship on earth. The in, between, in, in between the already and the not yet of the kingdom, we follow Christ in this tension and try not to assimilate, but try not to separate completely. I want you to commit to do something for me is, is pray to God um, this week. You know, we re reach the part of, of the, we reach the part of the Lord's Prayer, we say, thy kingdom come. Well, if you would this week, when you pray that prayer, would you just expand it and just say these words after I say them. Your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in my family. Your kingdom come in my church. Your kingdom come in our town. Your kingdom come in our world. <laughs>